We're in Luke chapter 5. I may hit on two incidents in the life of Jesus today, but maybe not. And uh, we'll see where we pick up when we resume meeting as individual classes. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 12 to 16. If we uh, process that quickly, we'll go on to the section after that. Beginning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show himself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We've come from the earlier portion, the chapter before this, with uh, Peter seeing his mother-in-law healed, working in a miraculous way, and uh, had to proclaim changing his address to Jesus from master to Lord. I think that's significant. Today, we're going to look at someone I'm going to call the untouchable and the relationship that he has with our Lord. Some of you are as old as I am. When I was a real young teenager, there's a television program called The Untouchables. It was on, I think, rather late at night. The only time I remember seeing it was one time I lived in Pennsylvania and we got snowed out, didn't have school the next day, so my parents let me stay up and watch it. The untouchables in that show were the government agents who were prosecuting people who were breaking the law. Here we have a story of someone who's an untouchable. He's not a good guy per se, not a bad guy. It was very clear in the untouchables which side was which. Elliot Ness and the untouchables were prosecuting criminals, chasing them down. Here, the untouchable is a man who's a leper, a leper. <clears throat> Where Peter moved from uh, addressing our Savior as Lord, we quickly turn to another opportunity here for Christ to be recognized and to be able to demonstrate for people his power and majesty. Look first of all at the man's condition in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. You might as well start this verse out with once upon a time, or it just so happened. Luke is not, he, throughout his entire gospel, he doesn't really narrow things down to a certain date and time. He just says here again, while he was in one of the cities in his ministry, <clears throat> and there was a leper. Notice what Luke says about the leper. This is the doctor. What does he say? Full of leprosy. That's not said in, in Matthew or Mark in describing this leper. But here it is. It's not quite that bad, but... It's like getting a diagnosis for somebody who's very sick and they say you're in stage four or something like that. 
he was completely overrun with this disease. And the doctor, Luke, describes it as full of leprosy. Since then, this disease has been diagnosed and it has a different name. Do you know what it is? Thank you. Hansen's disease. All right. For a bonus question, (laughs) ma'am, who is Hansen? It doesn't really matter. (laughs) He was a Norwegian, I believe, scientist who discovered this. And since then, that was in the 1800s. Since then, great progress has been made in treating this disease. It doesn't have the same stigma that it had in the time of Christ. But it's still prevalent in some places, affects people. How does it affect people? It affects them, especially in their extremities. Uh, One of the things it does is dull the nerves, and people don't know exactly their body's decaying. And uh, you often see or hear of people, they lose uh, the ends of their fingers, it hits their elbows, their knees, sometimes their nose, their eyebrows until it uh, takes over the whole body. Not so much anymore, but it did at the time of Christ and, and could kill somebody. It's called Hansen's disease. It numbs the feeling of the nerves and they don't know when they're being affected. If you're going to lose any of your senses, you don't want to lose the sense of touch, do you? <laughs> this is the kind of thing that can happen to you. People that lose this in today, if, if that happens, you often get burnt or something like that. You don't realize something's hot. These lepers have this. It's caused caused by something called a bacterium. In this time, it was communicated, I don't know if it still is, through touch or breath. Somebody described it as a painless hell putting up with this. It's like, I I can't imagine, it's like turning around and saying, how did this happen? I didn't have that yesterday. Or anything else that, that hits you. One of the results of that was it made you, you know, your body's deteriorating. You're going to smell somewhat foul. I was once burned as a youth in an accident. That's why I'm this ugly. (laughs) But thankfully, it didn't turn out too bad. But I was, and my mother were nauseated for a while about the smell of my singed hair. It's an awful smell. Something like that permeates these people who have this disease called leprosy. As a result, they were often very isolated and embarrassed. You didn't go in the company of other people. I don't know if you had much of this during the pandemic that we recently experienced. Instead of uh, us going around telling people beware, we went around with masks. Uh, trying to beware ourselves and staying away from other people, but we were much more isolated than we're used to in this society. It was extremely that way for a leper, and it was all his life, unless he's this leper here. He had to go around with his hand like this, yelling out, unclean, unclean. Had to cover his mouth, as it were, and yell that when he went into society at all, but he very seldom did. It was extreme isolation. Later in the Gospel of Luke, in the 17th chapter, we talk about uh, lepers. Christ is moving, and he comes to this place on the way to Jerusalem, passing along between Samaria and Galilee, Luke 17, 11. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers 
who stood at a distance. They couldn't get near in this society. You didn't get near. You weren't allowed. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, there was spiritual isolation. These people were not allowed to go to the temple or the synagogue. I don't know. I don't know how this would affect you today. If somebody told you you couldn't come to church, you'd probably say, I'll stream it, you know, or something (laughs) like that. But this, this society was a, a verbal society. You communicated, you passed down history verbally. You learned from teachers in the synagogue. To not be able to go and worship was terrible. You were like an outcast. You were an outcast. You weren't like one. They had physical isolation. They had spiritual isolation. And it had to wear on you. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> Somebody said to you next week, don't come to church. You have such and such a problem. You can't come here. It's not safe. How would you react? You can imagine this. There was a way to deal with this. Do you know what it was? You read Leviticus to find out. There was a process you had to go through to get rid of this, to be inspected. Basically, the health inspector was the priest. And he checked you out. And I won't take time to read all the verses in Leviticus Uh, since this may be our last Sunday together. But in Leviticus 13 and 14, you can read that. There's about 20 verses there telling you what they did, checked and see if something was white or if it was yellow in color and what to do about cleansing it. One of the problems attached to this, not just that you were isolated, but there was a feeling that sin was involved in this. There are at least three instances that stand out when I was studying this to me in scripture where it was a direct result of sin that somebody <coughs> suffered leprosy. Do you know any of them? Miriam. Pardon? Miriam. Yes, Miriam. Why was she struck with leprosy? Because she and Aaron wanted more, um, I guess, authority. authority or, yeah, that's what I was thinking. They were basically rebelling against the leadership of Moses, God's appointed leader for Israel. And she was struck struck with leprosy in Numbers chapter 12. Anybody else? Can you think of? Beg your pardon? Thank you. Gehazi, do you want to explain what happened there? Okay. (laughs) He was a servant of the prophet Elisha. I know this because I studied Elisha while I was teaching somewhere else. (laughs) But after Naaman the leper was cured, he took it upon himself to take the gifts that, wanted, that he wanted to give to Elisha. And Elisha had already told him, I don't want anything, basically. Don't. He took it for himself. Surprise, God knows. He was struck with leprosy. Isn't that appropriate? Naaman, the leper, was healed. <laughs> the servant of the prophet, who was the instrument of healing him, becomes struck with leprosy. There was another predominant case. Do you know what it was? This one really stands out to me. Pardon? Yes. What's the incident there? Uzziah. No. I think we, unless I'm wrong. What happened? Israel was transporting what? The Ark of the Covenant. And what happened? Well, the oxen apparently tripped or something 
it was going to fall. Well, wouldn't you try to save the Ark of the Covenant from falling and breaking? But when he did that, God struck him with leprosy. Thank you. I have the wrong person. Thank you. <laughs> we were editing me Friday at the Bible study too. I <laughs> right, right. I don't know what I stumbled over. Thank you. I stand corrected. <laughs> the thing that it needs to be pointed out though is God is holy and he is serious about it. He is very serious about his holiness. You are forget, forbidden to do certain things. Uh, by the way, from Miriam, what do we learn? We better be careful to criticize God's servants. We, we need to be careful. We need to watch what we say. It, it's, we live in America where an opinion is thrown out, especially on the internet, every second about something or other. God is serious about this matter of our religion. Uh, Apparently, I'm not serious enough because I don't know who Zion was. <laughs> My apologies. But there was a way to deal with this, and what did it involve? You had to be cleansed. It was an eight-day process that called for several sacrifices. That's important as we go down here. That's the situation that this leper is in. We don't know his name. We look at that in 12a, and when we come to 12b, we see his plea. We see his situation, now we see his plea. <laughs> says here in verse 12b, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He saw Christ, and what's the first thing he did? Beg your pardon? He worshiped, basically. He fell on his knees before God. He knew who Jesus was. And he came with a need. He had a plea. He had knowledge of his condition. You know, that's what most of us had when we had to come to Christ. <laughs> what knowledge did we have? I'm a sinner who needs to be redeemed. When our brother here teaches evangelism, one of the things you do, basically, it's probably a crude way to put it, but you get somebody lost before you get them saved. They need to see their sin in light of God's holiness. And they give you different examples to do that. It only takes one little sin <laughs> to condemn us. And thankfully, God has a, has a, a remedy for that. He fell on his face. He's worshipful. He's hum humble. After all, he is a beggar, an outcast, and has nowhere else to go. Nowhere. He can't get into the priest. He can't get into synagogue or the temple. Doesn't know about the apostles. They haven't been called yet. The prophets around at that time, we don't know of any other than John the Baptist, and he's not uh, doing things like Christ is. If you've ever heard that expression, dead man walking, prisoners do that. Well, they used to when we had a death penalty actually in this country. Somebody was going to the chair or something. The other prisoners described him as a dead man walking. That's what this leper 
was, a dead man walking. And he comes with a plea of faith, a plea from faith. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say if you can. He says, if you will. He came looking for Jesus. He came looking for him. This is, can you, this, how much faith does that take? Think about that a minute. How much faith does that take? What is he doing here? He is breaking the rabbinic law. What are you doing here? Get up, get away from us. But he's desperate. He is not going to go away. He's going to see Jesus. What a historic thing that is. He reveals his desperation in his actions here in this verse 12. I don't know how wise that was. It was very wise and that he got what he needed. But can you imagine all the people that were around there? Oh man, putting up in arms. Get out of here. What are you doing? You're putting everybody in danger. And perhaps he was. It doesn't say how many people were around exactly. But if you will, this is a penitent sinner's approach to Jesus Christ. No matter what the circumstances are, it doesn't matter. It may be something I have to overcome, but it will be done to get to Jesus. It will be done. Be aware, this is a penitent sinner's approach. I know it says he's a leper, but there's more to the story, isn't there, if you've read it? He's aware of his condition, but more than that, he's aware of Jesus' power. He's aware of that. He is aware that he is not self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. He is empty in spirit here. I don't have anywhere else to go, Lord. Would you please heal me? And look, he is sure of the power manifest in Jesus Christ. He's sure of it. If you wish, might color the way we pray in the future, mightn't it? <laughs> with more power, with more confidence in the one we're praying to. If you wish. What does Christ do? His answer to this request, verse 13. What does he do? He stretched out his hand and touched him. Can you imagine if the other priests were around there? What are you doing? You're not touching him, are you? Are you crazy? And, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, I'm quite aware of what Christ saved me from in the past. Don't know what he's going to save me from in the future. But, uh, you know, you translate this over to yourself. Uh, if the angels weren't such holy creatures when I got saved, they might have asked God, really? Him? You're going to save him? But he will. Jesus touched him. He reached out and touched this leper. Wow. What does he say? Very clearly and with great power. Two phrases here. I will be clean. I will be clean. What divine compassion our God has. Mark in talking about this incident says this. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will 
be clean. What's going on here? What has happened to Leviticus 13 and 14? What has happened here? Pardon? It's bypassed. <laughs> but don't go away from that. We're going to go back to that in uh, a different measure too. He has gone past the Levitical system, Jesus did. One of the things this says to me is, this is the high priest, Jesus Christ. He is our prophet, priest, and king. He is the high priest. There's no need to do everything that Leviticus 14 says to be healed. Christ is here. Wow, wow. Be clean. He is condescending. I don't mean that in an ugly way, but he condescends to heal this one who is untouchable, basically. What is your greatest need? Well, mine is, I'm like the, which one is it? The uh, scarecrow? I need a brain sometimes. <laughs> I need to go home and reread about Uzziah. <laughs> what, what's your greatest need? Christ is able to, and in most, <laughs> it's his will, he's willing to take care of it. He is compassionate. He is all sufficient, no matter the case. Can you imagine the reaction of those people around there? <laughs> Wow, that's not the way this is done. Why, why is he doing that? This one who is untouchable, he's reaching out and touching in a display of power. I'm sure they felt shock. What did the leper feel? He felt the love of Jesus Christ. What love that would do that? <clears throat> now, I don't know what vows you took when you got married. <laughs> But the man that counseled us made it a point to say to me, you need to love her as Christ loved the church. What does that mean? It means things like this. If I need to put my life on the line and you other men for your wives, you will do it. That's what Christ seems to do here. In physical sense, he was putting his life on the line. But he's giving us an example, if nothing else, for us out of this. We may never meet a leper in our lives. But this speaks in many other ways in our lives as Christians, what Jesus did here. <clears throat> the reaction would have been varied depending on which side you were on. If you were a Pharisee, it'd be a different reaction. <laughs> but if you were this leper, you would be praising God. And we'll see that in just a second. Jesus touched the untouchable. What happens when we touch something unclean? We got to go wash our hands or whatever. Christ didn't have to do that. He touched him. This is a complete reversal of things. He, instead of becoming unclean, makes somebody clean. The tables have been completely flipped here. You see who we're talking about? We're talking about God in Jesus Christ. He has once again upset the natural order. I say once again. When did he do it before in our study in Luke? 
well, just a few verses back, what happened? He rebuked the fever that was in Peter's mother-in-law. He rebuked it. He turned the natural order upside down. That's the God we serve. We heard a little testimony of that this morning about healing. Sometimes he does that in our day. He does what Hebrews 4 says about him. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What present day healer does this? <laughs> Somebody you watch on TV, perhaps. Who does this? Who does this? You remember when Elisha dealt with Naaman? How did, how did Naaman get healed? Anybody just touching? No, there was a process. And at first, he didn't like it. You mean I got to go down there and wash this many times in this way to be healed? He was too proud to do it at first, but eventually he did it. The process is different here. This is God, man, Jesus. He speaks and it is done. There's a great hymn that talks something to this. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, Weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. That's our Savior. Doesn't that describe him? He has pity for us in our condition, but he's filled with power. What more do we need? I don't know that we do. Well, what does he do next in verse 14? He says he charged him to tell no one. Why does Christ say that? Well, the answer follows right after the comma. But go and show yourself to the priest. What's going on here? Think that over a minute. Fulfilling In what way? Any particular verse? Doing what the law requires. Thank you. Jesus did not just say the Mosaic law doesn't matter anymore. He wasn't done with his earthly ministry and he was true to the religion. He did not want this guy running off, shooting off at the mouth. He wanted him to go to the priest and go through what Leviticus says you have to do. Our God fulfilled all the law in Jesus Christ. Every jot and tittle. He was not just going to throw aside the Mosaic law here. In one sense, he did because he healed this man unlike anything in the Old Testament. But he still was going to be mindful that the Mosaic law still had some power. He says, tell no one, but go and show the priest. As to this miracle, Jesus wants silence. There was another side effect of this, and we see that at the end of this passage here. By telling someone, it's going to be overwhelming what happens to Jesus. Well, not to the extent that he can't function. This reminds us, I think, here of uh, some scripture. Let me go to Galatians and read to you here. He wants him, this leper, to go to the priest to verify his cleanliness. Listen, you're going to be part of the active community of believers if you go to the priest. If you get checked out, clear Reminds me of the words here I found in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 23 to 25. 
<clears throat> we read there, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. But then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Galatians, Paul writes here, he says, things have changed, Christ has come. But in this case here with the leper, Christ has not been to that point that Galatians is talking about. So he wants this man to go back to the priest. Then again, in just over in chapter four of Galatians, we read these words. Here after Christ comes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive redemption as sons. That's what Christ is in the process of doing here. In the fullness of time, he has come and we're gonna have these abounding blessings of redemption. With him, that is Jesus, he not only upsets the natural order, but he is in the process of upsetting the spiritual order. The Mosaic law will soon be done away with. You won't have to do that because he is the sacrifice. What power Jesus has here? What power? Well, look at the postscript in verses 15 and 16. If I can get back to the right place. We read there, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Reports of him went abroad. Who wouldn't go to Jesus Christ if you heard that? Who wouldn't? Wouldn't you? I certainly would. I don't have too many serious illnesses that I know of, but what I do have, I'd go to him for relief if I heard this. This is real. We have this leper that Jesus was willing to uh, touch and heal. I don't understand what Christ might've thought about this man's disobedience. Jesus told him a certain thing to do and he did something else. I don't know about that, but he went out, began to talk profusely, freely about this, spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly minister where he was. But look at Christ's faithfulness, nevertheless. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In spite of this, Jesus would take every opportunity to get alone with the Father and secretly pray. He withdraws for communion with the Father. Do you do that? Do I do that? read something just this week about somebody, minister asking his parishioner uh, about his prayer life. And he said, he just can't pray. He said, I pray all the time. And then he asked him, well, tell me what you pray about. And he couldn't get down to the nitty gritty. So he, he said, do you just sit down for 30 minutes alone with the Lord? No, no. So he said, well, here's something I want you to do. So he told him how to go and pray. So he took his advice. He went took a verse of scripture, prayed about that verse. Took another verse of scripture, prayed about that verse. Before you know it, he had communion with God up to 30 minutes in a day in prayer. 
just by looking at the word, praying, looking at the word, praying. Our Savior, with all of these attributes, as God-man was our example, that we still need to go to the Father. Where is his power coming from? The Holy Spirit and the God, of God the Father. He goes to him to pray. Let me read you something. Maybe we'll encourage you to pray. Uh, if you were here last summer, whose book did we study? <laughs> J.C. Ryle. Ryle, absolutely. Here's what he wrote about this matter. There are few professing Christians, it may be feared, who strive to imitate Christ in this matter of private devotion. There is abundance of hearing and reading and talking and profession and visiting and almsgiving and subscribing to societies and teaching at school. But is there, together with all this, a true, a due proportion of private prayer? Are believing men and women sufficiently careful to be frequently alone with God? Our Savior was. These are humbling and heart-searching questions, but we need to find it useful to give them an answer. I'll let you answer that for yourself. Why is it that there is so much apparent religious working and yet so little result in positive conversions to God? So many servants, sermons and so few souls saved. So much machinery and so little effect produced. So much running hither and thither and yet so few brought to Christ. Why is all this? The reply is short and simple. There is not enough private prayer. Do you need a better example? Do I need a better example than Jesus Christ? <laughs> he is the son of God and he has to go off and he shows us he has to go and pray. What a testimony that is and what a rebuke it is to us if we're not doing that. Any questions or comments? Any more edited comments I need? <laughs> Thank you, sister. Anything else? You got any questions? No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> the word would have got out <laughs> without his disobedience, as it were. Yes, yes. And to see him, all it would take was the next Lord, the next Sabbath to see him in the synagogue. <laughs> the word would have gotten out. Absolutely. <laughs> Somehow, they, they had, some of them, I read about this, and I think it was from Josephus. A lot of times these people lived like in a colony. They were by themselves. And of course, they're destitute. If they had family, some of them would bring them food and they would set it at a designated area for them to come and get. They wouldn't even go into their presence and give them the food. So there was communication with the outside world, especially if you had a family. But uh, uh, in this case... Uh, that doesn't seem to be what's going on. Uh, however, this leper who was healed, this untouchable, did it. He got the word out. <laughs> but it might have been some way like that. People do bring you alms. They do take care of you. They just don't give it to you in person if you were a leper. <laughs> At the corner of uh, Hollywood and Vine, your meal will be 
go there and get it. Or uh, some other street here in Greenville. Maine and Pendleton. <laughs> I'll put your food there. It's a very, very, uh, I can't imagine the isolation in a situation like that. But now that I'm a Christian, I can't imagine the isolation of not being part of the people of God. I mean, what do you do for friends? Who do you call upon to ask for prayer? And, and do you call upon anybody? I don't know. Any other comments or questions? On the matter of prayer, you were talking about taking God's word. Um, I heard a pastor one time illustrate how to do that with the word. You take a verse and repeat it back to God and then indicate, for instance, it says God is merciful. Talk to God and thank him for all the ways his mercy has been demonstrated in your life as a way of adoring him Amen. and adoration and yeah. worship. And it really does transform your prayer life. Yeah. Um, there's a... Uh, yeah. And one of the best places I found is to start in the book of Psalms. Uh, because all the most of the time David's writing, it seems he's writing a prayer. <laughs> and uh, the man that was teaching this said, then take those things you read and put it into the formula, that acrostic, A, C, T, S, Make it adoration or confession or whatever else, supplication. But do it. What, what keeps you from praying? You know, uh, when our son invited us to go down to Atlanta last week, and I'm a, I'm a human, you know, but uh, we love him, and he invited us to come down, and he has children. What would keep us from going? <laughs> uh, what would keep you from doing what your heavenly father has said to do? You know, why? I know our lives are crowded, but there's an example like uh, our sister was saying uh, of how you can pray throughout a day. You may not have your own place to go to. The mother of the Wesleys uh, had, uh, oh, I don't know, 14 or 15 children. And what she did, I read, was she'd get off to a corner by herself and throw her apron up over her head and have her devotional time. And the children knew you didn't bother mama when the apron was over her head. She had to be alone with the Lord for a while. Jesus had a difficulty. Everybody wanted him. But he was determined to go off and meet with his father, wasn't he? Well, I'm not going to have time to get into the paralytics, so... Uh, Next time, <laughs> maybe. I would say to you, it's a, another miracle that follows the one that we have here. Uh, but this is a confrontational one. We're going to see the battle lines drawn here in the healing of this paralytic. People are so jealous. Uh, uh, of The religious leaders are so jealous of, of our Savior. And boy, all he has to do is do good in front of them and they're going to get their hackles up uh, when he does this, heals the paralytic. Uh, any other questions or comments before we go? I was just wondering if uh, when they did the Levitical thing, did it work? Did it what? Did it work? Were they healed? Oh, it wasn't to get healed. It was to demonstrate healing. If they were healed, it wasn't just by that process. 
they had to go through that to demonstrate that they were healed and they had to offer uh, at least two sacrifices during that eight-day period. Brother, hi. Verse 13? Yeah. And, and so, in, in essence, I suppose we could translate it, you be cleansed. I'm giving you the command, you be cleansed. Well, there was nothing that that guy could do to cleanse himself. You know, there was no religious activity, there was no being good, there was nothing that he could do to earn that cleansing. And yet, Jesus gave that command to him, and, and it says that he was. It's like in other places where Jesus healed somebody and he says, take up your bed and walk. <laughs> he might as well have said to him, you got the power, I just gave it to you. you know? yeah. Thank you, very good. Anything else? No? <laughs> uh, yes, And you learned that you didn't have it, right? <laughs> yes, it tells you what detail they went into to check those out. Yes. Brother Mike, would you dismiss us in prayer, please? Yes. We rejoice in the fact that, that Jesus did this for us, graciously did it for us. Not that uh, we deserved it in any way or fashion or manner, but that, but that out of your pure love and mercy and grace, we have this wonderful healing through the blood of Jesus Christ. We, we pray, Lord.
portion of your word, uh, the things that are reported here, that we would apply them uh, in our own lives, that, that we may honor you, that we may glorify you, and indeed, that we may enjoy the benefits of your grace and, and mercy, the saving honor uh, that we have through Jesus Christ. We praise you for this and for all things. Amen. Thank you.